Jesus. Simply Jesus. We're going through a message series called Jesus because we're looking at this person of Jesus through the lens of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, how does Matthew see who Jesus is? And we've uh, gone through uh, the first chapter so far uh, in two weeks. Uh, and what did we learn? Jesus is the legit king. He's the legitimate king of the Israelite people who is come to rescue them save them, restore them from uh, their many sins by doing what? Being God here with them. Uh, being God with this group of people, helping them to become who they were intended to be from the very beginning. But it's not limited. It's not limited to um, just the Israelite people, as we're going to see in this next chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 2, uh, is where we're going today. In fact, Matthew chapter 2 um, is really important because some of the things that are set up here now in chapter 2 are going to play out through the rest of the gospel. And so we need to pay close attention to what's going on in Matthew chapter 2. This is when Jesus is very young, he's, after he's been born, and we see that um, he, it's, not a, it's not an easy go for him or his parents. Uh, in fact, he is being taken from Bethlehem to Egypt, and then from Egypt back to the Galilee area, then to this little small town called Nazareth, uh, all in a short time span of his early life. Um, and he's needing to do this because of the, th the theme that's being set out here. There's two conflicting kingdoms that are uh, uh, butting heads in chapter 2. You've got the kingdom of uh, the Roman Empire, uh, as well as uh, the religious leaders of Jerusalem. So you've got those kind of together. Um, and then you've got what God is establishing, his kingdom and his rule through his anointed one, the one that they've been waiting for uh, since page three of the entire Bible, right? Finally, he's here. And, uh, and, and, and then we get to see how that's going to play out because it's going to play out for the rest of Matthew, Okay, so one of the things that I think that will be helpful for us to set the stage for this and some context is um, knowing that there are these two different kingdoms that are there, that are, that are warring against each other. And it's no different from then as their prehistory or in the history that we are in. Um, there are definitely things that we um, see and we'd like them to go a certain way. Um, we have our life. When we think about our life, when we think about our future life and things like that, we have a road paved for it. Um, whether you're thinking about uh, graduating, going, to, going into college, whether you're thinking about marriage life or career or family life or whatever that might look like, we have a way in which we think that should go. And anytime something comes in and disrupts the way we want it to go, um, it's upsetting. It's hard. It makes life difficult for us because it's not the way that we expected to go. So there's already going to be some conflict going on in our life. And there is some grand scale conflict that's happening here in chapter two. So let's take a look and through that lens of seeing this budding of heads of kingdoms and things like that, let's take a look at that and then we'll arrive at a place of how we need to respond to what is happening in Matthew chapter two. Okay, so here we go. Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. 
About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, we read that, and we might be wondering why that's so disturbing. Well, let's think about King Herod. King Herod, in your history books, he's called King Herod the Great, but King Herod the Great is not very great at all. He did some great things, right? Um, some of the religious leaders really love King Herod uh, for the fact that he's built them a new temple. Uh, he's made, uh, made things nice for them. He's done some things for the Jewish people, but they know he's not the anointed one. They know he doesn't have the lineage um, to, to be king. And they know that he is under uh, the power of the Roman government and the emperor. Uh, in fact, Herod got to be the king over this area uh, by promoting himself and making the right relationships and, and working his social network um, so that he can have this place to govern. In fact, he's so focused on his self-promotion uh, that he does not want anybody or anything to take it away from him. He starts to become nearly paranoid about people plotting to kill him because he thinks they're going to do that to take away his kingdom, all that he's established. Um, insofar as he's killing family members, uh, one of his own wives who he really loved, and he ends up killing her because he thinks that she's plotting to take his kingdom away by killing him. And comes to find out later she wasn't at all. So that's very, very sad. But if you have a guy that's willing to kill people that are close to him because he's afraid they're going to disrupt his kingdom and his rule and the thing that he's building, how do you think he is going to really feel when he hears there's a new king in town and the king over the people that he is supposed to be king over? Disturbed? Yeah, I, I don't even know if that's the right word. He's going to be really upset by it. He doesn't, not, can't allow this king to take his throne away, right? It's a rival. Now, do you see how, what I mean about there's these two kingdoms that are going to come into play? There's this one that is established by the Roman Empire as well as King Herod himself. He's playing that game and the religious leaders of their time and the way they think things are going to come and happen in this world and the way they want them to happen. And then you have God's plan, what God is doing in this world. He has sent his anointed one. He has bound himself into humanity in such a way that he has come to be with them. And yet he is this frail little baby that needs protection and needs to be um, cared for is defenseless. And so who's going to protect this little baby? Well, in a couple of ways, we're going to see that plays out. God is going to intervene as well as partnering with this baby's parents <laughs> Adopted father, Joseph, as well as his, his mom, Mary, are going to play a role in this. Okay? And it's super crucial to understanding what Matthew 2 is about as well as the way it's going to play out through the rest of the gospel. Okay? So we have those things going on, and we have these uh, foreigners that have come in. They know that there's this new king going to be born, which should be an indictment on the religious leaders. 
they're completely unaware that this king has been born because they were looking for him in some other way. Even though they knew where the Messiah, this king, was going to be born, they completely missed it, right? So King Herod doesn't even know. You can see how much he's not connected with the, the people by he doesn't even know where he's supposed to be born. So he asked the religious leaders. Religious leaders tell him, yeah, it's supposed to be in, in Bethlehem, right? So they know, but they're completely indifferent to it. They don't go and seek this out. They don't ask any further questions. They're not going to go with the wise men to go and find it out. And by the way, this isn't just a, a three guys wandering around, okay? Uh, this is a group of people. They're astrologers that are from a foreign land. They don't have the same religious beliefs as the Jewish people, and yet they know that their king has been born. And they want to go and they want to worship him. And look at the way that they respond compared to the way Herod and the religious leaders respond. If you go down to verse 10, it's talking about these, this group of uh, astrologers. It says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So their response first is that of honoring royalty. These are gifts that you would do to, to honor someone who has been born a king or born into the royal family, and then they're honoring him in that way. And second, did you see how God has intervened? He's warned them. He's protecting them from Herod. And we might be wondering, look, why would you need to protect them from Herod? We'll get to that in a second. But God has intervened to protect this group of people from what might happen because he knows that they are doing something that's in, in his plan along with what God's doing. They've seen that and they're part of that. And so God leads them another way. He doesn't want them to go back to Herod. And just think about this for a minute, of what that life might be like for this group of people um, that are traveling around. Herod has sent them out, knows where they're headed, but now they haven't returned. How is Herod going to feel when he realizes that they have betrayed him? They've not come back to him and reported where they found this new king. This guy who is bent on getting rid of anybody that would compete against his kingdom, he's not going to be feeling very good, is he? So that's the next section I want us to spend some time in. Um, and there's a, there's, a, there's a good portion of it here um, that I, I want us to read all the way through and see what is happening because it gives us a whole new light as we look at these two competing kingdoms that are are, are happening in Matthew chapter 2. So starting with verse 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared, <clears throat> excuse me, angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay here until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with, Mary, with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed, uh, stayed there in Egypt until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, 
I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what the prophet had spoken through Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Give you the big picture first, okay? Big picture. God has, this is not the first time God has intervened in human history to rescue people. In fact, we may hear some things that are familiar if you were with us when we went through the Exodus story. There, there was a king that was afraid of this multitude of people, the Israelites, and wanted to uh, limit them and suppress them through slavery. And then that didn't work, so he enlisted all the people to kill any baby boys that were born by throwing them into this Nile River. And God intervened through partnering with that a child's mother to rescue him so that he could one day deliver his people out of the land of slavery. And here we have scripture by different prophets saying, God knows this is going to happen. There's, there's going to be a time when God will intervene and come into human history again to do the same thing, to rescue humanity. And that's what we have here. We have God intervening by sending and warning uh, Joseph in a dream to not go back to Bethlehem, to, to flee from there, go to Egypt. Go to Egypt. Now, Egypt, in the mindset of Joseph and the people, was a land of slavery, a land of death. But yet that's safer than remaining with his own people, with the other Israelite people. Because the way in which they're trying to rule and reign is completely contrary to what God is doing. That is going to play out, isn't it? Herod is going to try to kill this Jesus, this, this newborn king. He's unsuccessful, but he kills all these other little babies. And I, I think as we sit here and think about that, the people in and around Bethlehem that have lost baby boys, two years old and younger, and the crying and the weeping that's gone out because of this king, who doesn't want anyone else but him to rule, has now come and causes great sin in his life. God needs to deal with that, right? This, this horrible circumstance for these innocent people that just got caught in between this, God, I think, has to deal with that. We'll get to how he deals with that in a second. But I want us to sit there and think about this in, in the way in which God may feel distant in your life. You may feel like things are unfair, things that are happening to you or to loved ones. Know that there is a greater evil that's out there. Again, another thing that's going to play out through the rest of Matthew. 
these two competing kingdoms that are going to happen. It needs to be dealt with. God knows it's going to happen. The prophecy is there. It's being fulfilled. Herod the Great is not very great. And yet God has intervened to rescue his people. and going to partner with Joseph and Mary in keeping Jesus safe, and he sends them away to Egypt until it's safe for them to return. But even then, it doesn't help um, help them with their own fear and anxiety. And that's what we see next here in verse 19. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared uh, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left to the region of Galilee. You continue reading, they end up in a small town called Nazareth, which is their hometown. That's where they started. It's like a full circle, right? They started in Nazareth, go to Bethlehem, sent from Bethlehem to Egypt, from Egypt back to the uh, Galilee area, and then ultimately back into Nazareth, right? So they're back home there. God is partnering with them to help protect Jesus. Here is something that's a bit crazy about it, okay? If we look at the story, we know, we know how the story goes, right? If you've read through Matthew, you know that even though Jesus is not killed here, 30 years later, he will be killed by the kingdom that first tried to kill him in the first place. See what I'm saying, right? So right now, this kingdom with the religious leaders and Herod and all of that, right? they're in, either indifferent or they're hostile to him. They want him dead. That's not of God's plan. That's not where God wants it to go. God undermines all of that, protects Jesus, and even as you read throughout the gospel, you see different times that Jesus is very secretive about who he is and what people can say about him because it's not the right time for him to die. There is a time that he will die, and then that time is when God is victorious over all of these other kingdoms. So it's about timing. So God is partnering with this couple to protect this one who is going to save and to rescue these people out from underneath this kingdom and these competing kingdoms. And I think there's a couple of things for us to take away from this. If we stop and we think about this and we even think about where this might go, I think Matthew is doing a couple of things. One of the things is showing what does it look like to follow Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a part of God's plan, do not expect things to go well for you. And you can't expect things to go well for you because you're, going to, you're, you're living in a world that's hostile to the way God wants things to be. There are people out there, and some of us, have this tendency as well. We like things the way we like it. We want God to make things the way we want them to be. We get upset when things do not go as we would have them planned. And in doing that, we have an opportunity, just like Herod did, of going, 
am I really going to respond well to Jesus as king? Or will I continue to fight for my own things and try to eliminate any other person ruling in my life? So that's one of the things that I think Matthew is laying out here. We're going to see that as he's going to be inviting, Jesus is going to invite people to follow him. We're prepped for what that means. There's a great cost in following Jesus. There's a huge cost in that. So that's the first, first thing. The second thing is that as you follow Jesus, you have got to realize that you will be living according to a kingdom that is contrary to the one that's established here now. There will be, at very least, hostility towards you. Indifference, maybe, but hostility. In fact, when you look at the story of Mary and Joseph being warned in a dream to go to Egypt, you may experience that it's unsafe in your very own family. There's hostility in your own family, and it's safer to be outside of that than to be with your own family. This is one of the things that we have to realize, and that gets played out through Matthew as well. I mean, there's times when Matthew, or when Jesus' uh, family is like, what are you doing? And Jesus has to ask, who are his real family? And he redefines that because he knows there can be hostility even within. And so that's going to be the true, uh, same thing is going to be true for you. That's what Matthew is establishing here. You, we have a choice in how we want to respond. Um, because what we have ultimately at the end of this story is that God is victorious, isn't he? Jesus is brought to Nazareth. He's, he's in a safe place. It's fulfilling the scripture that was laid out beforehand. God is the one that's victorious, even though Herod is not. And how does God deal with Herod? Do you know the story about Herod's death? Herod, on his deathbed, knew that the people hated him so much that there would be celebrations throughout Israel because he died. And so he gathered up a bunch of elite people uh, from the Israelite hierarchy, and he um, was going to have them executed when he died so that these people would be at least crying for them, and there would be tears on his time of death. But that's not the way it played out. They uh, exonerated them. They, did, they didn't have them killed when he died, and he died a horrible, miserable, painful death being eaten by worms. Do you, do you think God dealt with Herod in killing all of those kids? Yeah. Absolutely. Why I bring that up is the way in which we respond to this is important. Will we continue to hold to the things that we want and the way we want things to go? We want God to be the God we want him to be. We want him to do things the way we think God should do them. Or will we offer up a response that says, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be a part of your plan because I know no matter what it is that I experience right now in this life, you ultimately will be victorious. That's what lays before us. Each and every day, every moment of the day, will we rule or will we participate in God's kingdom? Now, 
Hang in there because we'll get to what that looks like here in the coming weeks. But for right now, our response is identifying that God is ultimately going to be victorious and we want to be a part of that. So I invite you.